Welcome back to another long episode of Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. It's long because we're done with the shorts for a while. We hope you enjoyed each of our one-on-one interviews with our dear friends, and we are just so excited to be back together again as the three amigos, the dynamic trio, the tres leches. (laughs) We are definitely not milk. I don't know why I said that one. Uh, I'm Jason Sieber, the associate conductor of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Mike Gordon, principal flute of the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the director of education and community engagement. So you guys, it's super great to be back together. I'm so excited to see you again. Although I did have a really good time creating our our shorts. I know um, Alex Espy and I had an awesome chat. So fun to catch up with them. Jason, I loved your conversation with Teddy. Thank you. Um, I, I want to sit down and chat with Teddy too. And the same with Father Paul, um, just all really inspiring people. And we're so lucky to have them as our colleagues and friends here in Kansas City. So you guys know, it's been about two months since we've last had one of our Kansas City Symphony musicians on the show. And I think it's about time we put the spotlight on one of our very own again and get to know another one of our fabulous musicians here in the Kansas City Symphony. That's right, Stephanie. And because it's been so long, it only makes sense to feature someone from the greatest family of instruments Mm -hmm. in the orchestra. I'm talking, of course, about the woodwinds. Of course. (laughs) And, you know, if we're going to talk about uh, the woodwinds, it only makes sense to feature the greatest instrument from the greatest family of instruments. And that is... I was unaware that Raymond played the flute. Uh, oh, geez, no. Mike. Come on. No. He might play the flute no. as well, but Mr. Raymond Santos is best known here in Kansas City as being the fearless leader of the clarinet section, which I'm pretty sure Stephanie would confirm is the true greatest instrument in the woodwinds. Right, Stephanie? In fact, I, right? I, I always introduce Raymond at, at these mobile music box concerts as playing the greatest instrument in the world. So yes. Well, he's in his 13th season as our principal clarinetist, and we are just delighted to welcome him here today to Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. Welcome, Raymond, to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Raymond. Hi. Thanks for being here. We're looking forward to talking with you. I just want to clarify that, you know, it's an un- undisputed fact that the clarinet is actually the best instrument See, in the orchestra. Now Absolutely. we have three people confirming it. <laughs> yep. So, Mike, you're far outnumbered, my yeah. friend. I, I would care to dispute, but, you know, <laughs> you're the guest, so I'll, I'll defer for the moment. You can dispute for the, for the rest of the episode. That, that will be fun. <laughs> that should be entertaining. I mean, flutes are great because they're shiny and everything, and you can make them out of pretty things like gold. But the clarinet, I mean, we don't need any of that sparkly stuff to really sparkle. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. It just shines on its own. Very true. Shines on its own. Very good. <laughs> so, Raymond, uh, one of the last times that you and I got to make music together was a long time ago on a Classics Uncork concert. It was last January, over a year ago. It's crazy to think that. Uh, when you and Mike both performed concertos with the symphony, uh, Mike played a wonderful flute concerto by Ramundo Pineda, and you performed one of my favorite pieces written for the clarinet, Copeland's Clarinet Concerto. And of course, a lot has happened, like I said, since, since then in this past year. We've had a lot of new and innovative approaches we've taken here at the KC Symphony to continue to bring music to our amazing community. Tell us what this last year has been like for you. Uh, with the mobile music box performances you've been involved in, some of the stream performances as well. Just what has this tough year of the pandemic been like for you as a musician? 
Well, I think saying that it's been a unique year is the understatement of the century. And I think that's for, for every human being on the planet. Um, you know, in terms of professional clarinet playing, by far the most fulfilling experience has been doing our mobile music box concerts. All of the members of the orchestra are split into chamber ensembles, and I'm in a woodwind quintet. Um, and actually, the woodwind quintet that I'm in is uh, four players that I already have been working with doing gigs, and we added a fifth player, who is uh, Allison Chung, our associate principal oboe player. So that, that's been very fulfilling. It's been a good way for us to still be involved and active in the community. And um, I think one of the um, really good things that has come out of this is that we've been able to go to a lot of different neighborhoods around the city and um, bring access to people to access, you know, the, the symphony and, and our music that may not have had the chance to come to the Kauffman Center. So that's been really fulfilling for me. I've done a couple of the recording projects that we've done in Healthsburg Hall. I did a Copeland Appalachian Spring, Dvorak, uh, Serenade, and some other chamber pieces. And Copley, Copeland Appalachian Spring, that is like, that's one of my favorite pieces in the mm -hmm. entire repertoire. So it was a lot of fun uh, to go on stage and do that. I will say, though, it struck me when I first came into Healthsburg Hall because when you're performing constantly, like, like that's a skill that you maintain. Like just like, you know, when you're practicing your instrument or doing scales or things like that, if you take a break, you go on vacation and you come back to it, you're a little rusty. And performing on stage in Healthsburg Hall, I was like, ooh, I'm a little rusty. Like I, I don't feel as comfortable as I normally do when I'm, you know, when I'm performing in a regular season and we've been at it for a couple of months. So that was a little bit of a, of a wake up, wake up moment, but it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad that we've been able to slowly transition back into this new phase. So I'm really glad that you mentioned um, the, the group that you're performing with on the music box, because um, I've had the great pleasure of being at a, quite a few of the performances that your Woodwind Quintet has presented, whether that's been um, at, at schools, which we've been doing a lot of, but we also just recently ventured all the way up north to Smithville um, and played at a campground park, which was an awesome evening of music making. And I think the fact that you guys, you know, you guys play together, and I know that you guys are very friendly with each other, that really comes through not just in your interactions, but in the way that you guys play together. You can tell that you guys are all having a good time in your group. Um, is Shannon Finney and Allison Chung. David Sullivan plays horn, and Ann Bilderbeck is our, our principal bassoonist. And it's just a great group, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the perks of playing with people who not only you enjoy you know, their music making, but also you enjoy just kind of being with them as friends and colleagues. Yeah, so we're definitely not a group that's lacking in personality. So <laughs> I think that that comes through. Um, Shannon, our flute player, who's the associate principal flute uh, in the orchestra, she has taken kind of the leadership role of, of the of the uh, quintet because there's just a lot of logistical things that have to happen with ordering music, selecting music, or, uh, scheduling rehearsals and things like that. And she's been absolutely fantastic with that. And she kind of takes the lead in terms of interacting with, with audiences. But mm -hmm. Um, David and I tend to steal the microphone away occasionally. <laughs> Shannon always Shannon always jokes that um, I, I do enjoy the microphone, and I do I do enjoy the microphone. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun having banter with with the audience, and sometimes I can tell that they're like, "What is going on?" But I still have fun regardless. <laughs> you know, um, my favorite thing at that Smithville concert was. Uh, um, and I have to ask you, so we were there and, you know, of course, Shannon and you are going back and forth and Shannon's talking about how, you know, what that Raymond is the diva of the group and 
everybody should, you know, ignore Raymond and Raymond, you know, just he's he's trying to claim the spotlight. And you just need to ignore him. And there were there was a group of um, of people kind of toward the back. And I have to know if you knew those people or not, because at one point, one of them just kind of stood up and shouted in the silence. We love you, Raymond. Yeah, I heard that. I, I have no idea who that was. But you have groupies. I know. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I was like, see, Shannon, stop picking on me. Have, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. But you know, like we like we we all work really well together. Like I said, we have we kind of had a pre-existing chamber music relationship um, because uh, Shannon and David and and I play um, uh, gigs usually actually in December. We go through and play a lot of Christmas music in a lot of nursing homes, and so mm-hmm. so that was kind of you know just already already preformed. You already had that kind of natural working relationship in a chamber music setting. And um, Allison is you know one of my good friends and and friends with pretty much everyone in the group already to begin with. So she was a, just a natural person to, to bring in into this mold. And so, yeah, that, that has been an immensely fulfilling um, professional experience for me during, during this year. It also doesn't hurt that uh, Shannon brings you guys baked treats all the time. Yeah. Shannon is very, very good with uh, <laughs> baking and all sorts of other things. So that definitely helps. That's definitely one of her major contributions that we enjoy. <laughs> I, I was just about to say, like, you guys must have fabulous treats at like every rehearsal and every concert. I mean, she bakes a lot, but actually I think all of you cook quite a bit and and probably uh, also provide treats. Uh, and I know I sat in, I think maybe once or twice uh, with your Christmas group along with Shannon and we kind of traded off playing different parts. And, and I have to say, I definitely could not keep up with the level of humor and silliness. <laughs> it was impressive. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a good time. It's a bubbly group. <laughs> I have to ask you, is it okay? Is this true? Or was Shannon put it, putting on a little bit when she said that she taught you how to cook when you first moved here? <laughs> um, no, that 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 is true actually. Oh, nice. So when I first, yeah, when I first so Mike actually and I, we go back a, a pretty pretty long time. We were both at the New World Symphony together. Yeah. And when I was at the New World Symphony, I mean obviously I never cooked for Mike cuz I could barely cook for for myself. But when I was at the New World Symphony, I mean, it was very very basic like what can I put in a microwave and that is like the extent of my cooking skills. Actually, my cooking skills before I moved here were so bad that in college I would have for dinner a, mi- a microwave frozen meal every night. And the sodium in those things is astronomical. <laughs> and so I actually had high blood pressure just from the sodium in, in, all, those me- in all those meals. And so the doctor and was now like... now you have high blood pressure from conductors. I understand. Yeah, yeah. The, so the, the doctor was like, what have you been eating? He's like, you need to stop consuming all this sodium. So anyway, that, that, all, that all worked itself out and I'm great. But... So I came here and I just, you know, in conversation with with Shannon, she deduced that like I was completely hopeless in the in the kitchen. So she actually went with me. We went to, um, I think, Bed Bath & Beyond. She helped me select like a, a real knife, like, you know, like a real, not butcher knife, but just like a really nice knife. That chef's I, knife. Chef's knife. Thank you. Um, and I still have that to this day and I use it every time I cook. But yeah, she had to kind of walk me through everything because I was absolutely... Hopeless, and you know my mom is a really good cook, and she cooked for us nonstop when when I was a kid. It just never it never soaked in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you a bit of credit because, well, I mean, 
I give you a lot of credit, but as far as New World is concerned, uh, cooking there, even if you were predisposed to, was basically impossible. I mean, I had, we all had, for the most part, you know, sinks that you couldn't even fit a dish into. It was like <laughs> the size of a sink on an airplane. So yeah, I, I kind of did the same thing as you. A lot of a lot of instant meals, a lot of going out. It was uh, It was not the healthiest lifestyle. But speaking of which, you remember, of course, that you and I go back even further than that, to uh, Tanglewood, where we first met. I think that was, what, 2003, maybe? Yeah, 2003. Raymond and I, so they had like cafeteria food for us there, which, you know, nothing against the fine people who run Tanglewood and the Boston Symphony, but the cafeteria food for the students was uh, variable in its level of appeal. Uh, so we would often uh, hop in the car and go down to Friendly's, right? And for anyone who knows New England, Friendly's is, you know, kind of a iconic, uh, like, diner, you know, burger, ice cream kind of place. And so Raymond and I would go there and, you know, have burgers and ice cream and collect sodium. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Was, it was good times. Continue, continue to raise that that blood pressure. You know, I've been back there subsequently, and that Friendly's isn't there anymore. I was so <gasps> upset. Shock. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Friendly's is in business anymore. Are oh, they, really? Is it, they closed is them it all done? down. Yeah. This episode yeah, sure. is not sponsored by Friendly's. <laughs> I was about to so say, sad. it might be sponsored by the Food Network, though, because I think we've talked about food for like the last 10 <laughs> <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Let's get back to talking about the clarinet, Mr. Raymond Santos. Tell us about some of the aspects, the unique aspects of the clarinet, because you have to buy reeds constantly, as opposed to oboe and bassoon players, double reed instruments, who, of course, make their own reeds. You do not make your own single reeds. You have to purchase them. So I'm curious what type of reeds are your go-to, and if you could just talk about if you use a certain type of reed for a certain type of music or how many reeds you typically bring out on stage with you for a, any given rehearsal or performance. And then maybe just the difficulty of playing a woodwind instrument outside because you've had to do that a lot lately and, and we'll continue to do that over the summer. So there are different levels of nerdiness we can go in here. I'll try and keep it somewhat palatable. <laughs> um, so... Uh, yeah, the you know clarinets we use single reeds. In the woodwind family, we have the reed players. So oboes, bassoons, clarinets, obviously, and saxophones. And the clarinets, and although saxophones usually aren't in orchestras, but saxophones and clarinets use single reeds. And I don't, I'm not quite sure when this happened, but clarinet players and saxophone players um, stopped making reeds. I don't know, like decades ago. I mean, it used to be part of the craft of learning to play the clarinet is learning how to make your own reads, but somewhere along the line that just became, you know, I, I can't actually think of any, I can only think of one or two professional clarinetists that make, make their own reads. Sorry. There was a re a read making class that you could, well, it was kind of like a, a read making um, anybody who wanted to learn how to make clarinet reads could do that with Michael Webster at Rice. And I did not volunteer to experience that class because I was like, why would I need to do that? I could just open this box right here. Well, I have to say, I I've, I would have totally taken that class. I'm actually really interested in it. I'm sure yeah. like if I had to do it regularly, I would, I would hate it. But since, I mean, it'd be more like a hobby for me. But so, but the other side of that coin is that, you know, you have to buy reads and there's one year where I, I think it was like 2016 or something where I spent $2,500 on reads wow. for the year Wow! because so few of them. I, so I always buy reads um, 
in packs of four, so that's 40 reads. One box has has 10 reads. So I always buy I always buy four boxes at a time. Because that's that gives me the best odds of finding at least one or two that are acceptable for performances. And on average, that maybe happens there sometimes where I'll buy four boxes and like nothing. I, not one of those is good for anything other than practicing at home. So hmm. I always try and I hope to strike out and get, you know, two out of out of those boxes of four. Um, I always wonder, actually, if I did have to make my own reads, if I would have greater success with that, because then I could, you know, um, create the reads that suit my own personal tendencies and playing the clarinet. I always feel I feel like that's actually part of the craft for oboe and bassoon players is they not only learn the, you know, the art of read making, but they develop a system that works for themselves and for their own, you know, idiosyncratic ways of, of playing their instruments. And I think that's part of the reason why there's so many unusable clarinet reads is just because they're making clarinets just for a general population, not for, you know, you specifically. So so yeah, so I go I go through a lot of reads. Um, every week at work, I usually try to have at least one read that I want to use for performances and at least two for rehearsals. And I kind of rotate rotate through all of them. That's what I hope for. That's not always the way it goes. <laughs> there are some times where I'm, I'm in a performance with a read and I'm just barely hanging on. But, you know, we sold, we sold her on. But yeah. Uh, yeah, in terms of, I mean, that's the, definitely the biggest hassle of, of playing a clarinet. Woodwind instruments outside, especially, you know, wood, wood, uh, wooden woodwind instruments, um, in particular the oboe and the clarinet, uh, can be very temperamental outside, mainly just because it, the lower the temperature gets, the greater the risk of the instrument cracking. So when you blow warm air inside of an instrument, the interior of the instrument starts to expand. But if the outside temperature is really cold, then the outside of the instrument starts to contract. And so you get this unsustainable pressure in the instrument and it starts to crack. I've only had a clarinet crack once in my career, knock on wood. Mm. Get that Get that fun? Mm. I got that. I, saw, okay. I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very good. good. Very witty. So, uh, very woody or witty? Uh, woody. woody. Oh. Touche. No. Dang, we're on a roll. <laughs> so that's been a little bit of a struggle because if the temperature is too cold, then we can't we can't actually perform, and that's always kind of a bummer because you know we don't want people to to be disappointed. But and also, I mean, like reeds, I I feel like don't also really work that well outside. Um, so playing outside is really like more about fun and uh, you know providing a, a good experience for your audience rather than you know playing like a, a Carnegie Hall. New York Philharmonic worthy performance, you know. I'm curious if you've ever um, experimented with the plastic reed. Yeah, so I have purchased a couple plastic reeds. I do know there are actually some very good professional mm-hmm. clarinets that are able to use those reeds, and they sound very good on them. And not just not just use them. I mean, they use them like in the concert hall in big performances. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I cannot make those reeds work for me mm. a- at all. Like I'm waiting. I'm hoping someday that. There's some reed maker that'll be able to come with a plastic reed that 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 I'll be able to make. But every time I put put one on the mouthpiece, it sounds like a laser. I'm like, no one <laughs> should ever be subjected. I feel bad that I'm even subjecting my dogs to this sound right now. Like, no. So I I can't. So far, I'm stuck with you know regular cane wood reeds. Um, I I do cross my fingers for the day where plastic reeds could become a 
consistent possibility for me. I would absolutely lose my mind. I'd be calling Van Doren, you know, screaming at like 11 o'clock at night. I'd be like, you sent me four boxes of reeds and I only got one usable one. Yeah. They'd be like, wow, that's good job. They'd be like, yeah, we did good today. Yeah. That's, oh my goodness. I, I just couldn't deal. But, um, so I want to ask you though, uh, in addition to the reeds, you have had a somewhat unusual tenure here at the Kansas City Symphony in that you've been here for a long time now, but the rest of your section, uh, you've had more different people in your section uh, than I'm sure we've had in any other wind section. Uh, and it's it's largely due to the fact that, well, I think it's almost entirely due to the fact that we keep getting, you know, wonderful players and uh, they're here for a little while and then they, they move on to other opportunities. So what has that been like, you know, for you to build a cohesive section with this constant turnover? I mean, someone even made a very entertaining video <laughs> about the history of the Kansas City Symphony uh, clarinet section. It's uh, We'll maybe have to put a link to it if it's still on the internet. It's pretty funny. But uh, what, what has that experience been like? So I think, yeah, there, there's that video on YouTube. I think it's also mm-hmm. on Facebook. But um, And I think the final count was 16 since 2000, is we've had 16 members of the clarinet section and that's, that's more amazing. members than the woodwind section yeah. right i mean there are, we have true. 12 we have 12 full-time professional members of the the woodwind section in the orchestra so we've surpassed that number um how many first violins do we have is it 16 or 18 we have 14 14, oh, 14. 14 okay first. wow i'm very observant so <laughs> even more than you know the largest section of the orchestra the first violins we have had even more than You've that. had more clarinets than the Cleveland Browns have had quarterbacks since they came back to the NFL in 1999. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that means something. Um, so, <laughs> so I think, you know, a lot of this is just a testament to the fact that I, I think that we run the best auditions in the biz. Um, our, our auditions are impeccably one, you know, are impeccably run every time you go to an audition in a different orchestra, every orchestra runs their auditions, you know, in their own specific way. And there have been auditions that I've shown up at and they tell you, you know, you're going to be playing between 10 and 11 a.m. And it comes to like 1.30, you know, and you're mm-hmm. finally going on stage just because like, like they, they haven't worked everything out to a T. And these are orchestras sometimes that run auditions, you know, regularly. Here in Kansas City, especially with our, our excellent um, orchestra manager, uh, Justin, um, we have everything planned out to like the minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to that, we also have, um, we have a screen up the entire time. The, the whole process is completely anonymous and, and very fair. And so the fact that, you know, we bring in these musicians that are very attractive to other orchestras, I think is a, is a testament to that. Yeah, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of, of really good players uh, go on to, to other big jobs. One person that stands out to me is Boris Alekverdian, who's mm-hmm. now, he, he left for the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. He was mm-hmm. principal there for, I don't know, like three, four seasons maybe. And now he's principal clarinet in the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And um, I really miss working with him because Boris, I mean, obviously he's a fantastic musician, but he's also a lot of fun to work with as a he has a great personality and uh, yeah. So yeah, we've, we've had a lot of, a lot of people come through and I think it's re- really the main reason is just because the, the clarinet section, all like all three positions opened up in the early two thousands. And, you know, we have such an audition, uh, excellent audition process that we bring these people in and then they end up leaving the nest, you know, they come in to the nest and then one day we push them out and they fly out into the world. <laughs> you can just <laughs> shove them out the door. Yeah, it's the clar- it's the clarinet nursery. I'm like, thank you, good job, goodbye. But you know, in a very loving way. 
All right. So I'm so glad that you brought up the audition process, because if I remember correctly, you have a unique audition story in, well, one, didn't you win one of our auditions on your birthday? Oh, yeah. So the my, yeah, I won my audition on my birthday. But haven't you also won two auditions here? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I won the audition for my position as principal clarinet on April 1st, 2008, my 24th birthday. Ooh, and, April Fools. Uh, yes, and I'm an April Fool. And um, <laughs> so the way that, that that was kind of a unique situation because what the orchestra was doing at that time, um, if a member of the, or- if a tenured member of the orchestra left for another job, in this case, um, that clarinetist was Michael Wayne. He was my mm-hmm. predecessor and he went to the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Instead of bringing in just kind of a, a one-year player, um, just you know, selected randomly by someone in the orchestra, we decided to hold an audition. And and the person that wins that audition gets a, a contract that says one year, possibly permanent, which is basically just to say, you know, we can't guarantee that you know this is going to be a permanent contract. But if the person that has left does not return, then you are the tenure track musician. So. We also had the uh, second associate E flat. That's just one position, folks. All three mm. positions. Mm-hmm. Um, second slash associate slash E flat clarinet position open, and uh, that was in like February of two thousand nine. And at that time, you know, Michael didn't know whether or not he was going to be granted tenure in Boston, and that associate position that was already tenure track that was not a one-year position so i took that audition in the event that you know michael wayne were to return to kansas city um and i would have to then relinquish that principal clarinet position then i could just move into this this uh second clarinet associate chair um and thankfully you know i was i was fortunate to win that audition but thankfully you know uh things were fantastic for michael in boston and so he was able to resign and I was able to resume the the tenure process here in in Kansas City. So you started the whole chain reaction uh-huh. of multiple chairs for one person of the because that's happened with several people that have had <laughs> a, a one year in this clarinet seat and then a one year as bass clarinet and you started that whole thing. Yeah, hashtag trendsetter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten actually that whole uh, that whole scenario and uh, yeah, it, it's something I guess we used to do and I think. I think you were part of the reason we stopped doing it because it, you know, created all these weird scenarios like, you know, you were the second clarinet and the principal clarinet all at the same time. And, you know, if you didn't get tenure as principal, did that mean you could go back to second? Or if you didn't get tenure as second, could you go back to, I mean, it just was wildly contorted and confusing and had all sorts of chain reactions. So we stopped doing that. But yes, I remember now, I guess it would have been your second audition because I would have been on on the committee both times when we hired you and we confirmed our correct choice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was very, I was very happy to hear, to hear my name called at that, that other, I mean, it was stressful. I that was a very, sure, yeah. you know, um, it was stressful for many reasons, for, mostly because, you know, you just want to have guaranteed employment, but also, you know, it's always difficult to audition for your colleagues to people that you are, are, are really close with. Right. Um, that's a whole added element of of stress than if you were just you know you didn't know any of these people. So uh, so yeah, thankfully it all it all worked out. But um, yeah, I do think that that whole experience is one of the reasons why we transitioned from one year possibly permanent positions to just now separate separate things. Yeah. So now we have one year positions, and they are only one year positions. And then once you know the the person that 
was tenured in that chair. Once they resign, then we have the tenure track audition happen. And, you know, I think, you know, I understand the rationale of why it happened. And there, and there definitely were positive qualities to that, because then you just had someone just step in right away once, you know, that that the other person resigned. Because, you know, the overwhelming majority of the time, a person that leaves the orchestra, leaves our orchestra and goes to a different orchestra, they get granted tenure in that other orchestra. Right. That It's very uncommon for that to not happen. But, you know, you always want that that extra level of, of security. So I think, though, too, uh, another thing that is really unlikely to happen is that somebody win two auditions in that amount of time, too. I mean, if you think about the odds of winning one audition, it's, you know, 100 to one in a lot of those cases easily. Right. And, uh, you know, to do it twice, I think I don't think anybody fully expects that to happen ever for anyone. Kudos to you. Well done. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we have um, a, a series of questions here that we ask all of our guests here on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. Uh, and I'm going to ask them both. So uh, we're curious, what is your favorite drink that can be alcoholic, non-alcoholic? I'm assuming it's going to be an alcoholic answer. I don't know why. It's just a feeling I have. And then two, <laughs> if you were having this beverage and you noticed Beethoven sitting at the bar what would you want to ask him? You sidle up next to him at the bar, you've got your drink, and, and you, you can ask Beethoven one question. What what would that be? So I actually don't have one specific that I'm more passionate about than any, any other. I do generally graduate towards more girly cocktails, awesome. <laughs> which I'm not ashamed of. But uh, let's let's say in, the, in this instance, it would be a strawberry margarita. I do enjoy yes. my strawberry margaritas. It is margarita season it right is. now. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and if I saw Beethoven, I would settle up to him and I would say, you know, there's this thing you wrote in the first movement of Beethoven 6, and there's a really, really really difficult clarinet solo and why did you do that to all of us <laughs> see i would say beethoven four you th- you, you oh no don't Beethoven, like beethoven six oh well see, that's actually like not really an orchestral excerpt i mean like it's it's great if you can articulate it but one thing that's kind of great about the clarinet is <laughs> double tonguing isn't really a standard thing on the clarinet right. so if you can't tongue something it's fine to slur it and i feel like yep. the clarinet's like the only <laughs> instrument that can get away with that oh just slur it it's fine so that that's like not really that scary um what's really scary is just Be- I, beethoven 6 every time i see beethoven 6 is on on a, a program, my blood pressure rises, and I I have to stop eating. Which <laughs> which excerpt are you talking about? <laughs> the the one at the end of the first movement, the triplets. And what's oh, so funny yes. is it doesn't sound hard at all. It no, sounds yeah. so, and that's always the worst thing is because it sounds like it should be so easy and effortless, but the fact that you're having to like decrescendo and jump partials, and jump, partials yeah. means jumping between you know different registers, and you have to you have to put your throat and your and your tongue position in different places. And so basically you're doing like gymnastics inside with your with your throat and your embouchure and you're supposed to be decrescendoing and it's supposed to sound elegant and effortless and it's just a nightmare. It is not it is not fun to play. All right, well just just for that reason, I, just to make sure that our entire audience knows what makes Raymond's blood pressure go up besides sodium. I'm going to put in the listening. I will put the the that movement of Beethoven 6 and you go, you can go to the end and you can listen to those that triplet excerpt and you can hear what makes Beethoven uh, makes Raymond crazy. <laughs> yeah, it sounds easy, but it is it does. not. 
Yeah. It is not easy. I'm pretty sure he's just trying to warm you up for the cuckoos at the end of the second moment, but, you know, I could be wrong. <laughs> well, anyway, Raymond, it's been really wonderful to chat with you today. We are going to play a little game now that we like to play here on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar whenever we have one of our own musicians on the show. It's called Bar Talk, and I'm going to ask a series of four questions today. They are opinion-based questions Give us your best possible answer. Maybe a little explaining. Keep it under 30 seconds. If I like what you guys say, of course, you'll hear the infamous bell ring. And if I don't quite like your answer, uh, you're going to get the horn, which sounds like this. Okay, well, as we know, Mike has won this about 600 times. Stephanie has never won. <sighs> Don't rub And it our in. guest has won a lot. So, Raymond, you have a pretty good shot today. Mike has a decent shot. Stephanie, you probably have no shot, Hang but on. I'm still rooting for you. But look, here's, what, here's what's working in my favor today is I, I have in my lifetime played the clarinet. You are actually a clarinetist. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. So you, this could be your day, Stephanie. Kay. All right, here we go. First question, we know that Raymond's least favorite clarinet solo in the entire orchestral repertoire, if I'm not mistaken, is the opening of Rhapsody in Blue by Gershwin, which when we did that a few years ago in a Pops concert, I heard about it from Raymond all week, I I do believe. (laughs) What is the best clarinet solo, though, in an orchestral piece? What do you think is the best clarinet solo in the entire orchestral repertoire. Not a concerto, but actual orchestral piece. We'll start with Mike. What do you think, Mike? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm going to go with a slightly off the beaten path one. And I'm going to say, I really like the clarinet solo in the second movement of the Rachmaninoff second piano concerto. That's a good answer. Why that solo? Well, number one, it's just very beautiful music. And number two, it was much later on uh, lifted and turned into the hit song All By Myself. That's true. (laughs) I think, uh, is it Eric Carmen that originally recorded that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, but Celine Dion has done it. I mean, it's, you you know, we'll have to get uh, one of our members of the research team to look that up. Yeah. But uh, I'm pretty sure you're right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Good answer. Stephanie, what do you think is the best clarinet solo in the orchestral repertoire? Well, I have to, I have to say first that I commiserate with Raymond on the, um, the Gershwin Rhapsody in Blue. And I'll tell you that my high school marching band, my senior year, in Coppell, Texas, go Cowboys. Uh, we played Rhapsody in Blue for our marching band show, and I had to play that solo every freaking Friday <laughs> it, outside on the marching band field with like a microphone shoved up the bell. Oh my so God. there's that. Great. Um, I gave you a point for that, okay, but now you, you only have four seconds left okay. to answer the question. There is a really question. delicious and gorgeous solo in Shostakovich 9 that I adore. I'm just going to leave it there. All right. Which movement? Two? Is it the big solo? I'm going to find it and I'll put it in the notes. Okay, sounds good. All right, and Raymond, the clarinet expert here, what is your favorite clarinet solo in the entire orchestral repertoire? There are many. We are blessed with many excellent and wonderful solos, but for me, it's Dances of Galanta. Could uh-huh. I? Yeah. Good answer. Great solo. Yeah. All right, moving on to question number two. We also have some terrific clarinet concertos. We already mentioned the Cope one that Raymond played last year. There's the great Mozart concerto, of course, in A major. Weber wrote a few clarinet concertos, Corigliano. Who would you have liked to have written a clarinet concerto that has not written one yet or, or never did, living or dead? A composer that you wish would write a clarinet concerto. Stephanie, we'll start with you. All right, so I'm going to say um, Valerie Coleman, and here's why. I've recently been introduced to her music through these mobile music box concerts, and I know that Raymond's group plays... Um, a an arrangement of Umoja that she does, and I know that 
our other woodwind quintet that um, Mike is in, uh, you guys play, is it you do the Chagan, right? Uh, Chagan, yeah, yeah, we played that a little bit. And, um, you know, she's she's in the Imani Wind. She knows how to write for wind instruments. She knows how to write for the clarinet. I think it'd be awesome. Good answer. Okay, next up, uh, let's see. Let's go to Raymond. Who do you wish would write a clarinet concerto or would have written a clarinet concerto? Uh, Brahms. He wrote two lovely clarinet sonatas. And I feel like the only thing that was missing is a is a concerto. That would have sure. been good. Absolutely. And Mike, what do you think? You know... I think Charles Ives should have written a clarinet concerto. <laughs> and why Charles Ives? Just because I, I, it's like I can hear it in my head. You know, it would be like a juxtaposition of some sort of carnival music and, you know, something that maybe sounded a little bit more like Brahms or some street band or I don't know. It would just be, it would be great. <laughs> You know, are you saying that the clarinet is only good for carnival music? Is that what you're yeah, trying to suggest? Yeah, that's what I'm basically wow. saying. Raymond has something to say about that. It would probably sound like you know a marching band going walking by while a clarinetist is having to struggle through Rhapsody in Blue with a microphone. Yeah, up there. that's something exactly like that. it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. An oh extra gosh. point for Raymond. Good. Okay. So Raymond gave the the support for Mike's answer, so uh-huh. he gets the point. Okay. Good. Moving on to question number three. If you were not a professional musician, what would you be? What would be your career, Raymond, if you weren't a professional musician? Oh my gosh, I want you to say the answer I want you to say so bad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so No table talk. The the real answer is I have absolutely no idea. I really genuinely have absolutely no idea. I was only made to play the clarinet. But the answer that Stephanie the answer that Stephanie wants me to say, and which is a little bit appealing, is a rheumatologist. Which <laughs> Which, which is a doctor that deals with like autoimmune diseases and, and, and things like that. I'm a kind of a medical junkie. I find just like weird medical things very interesting and I will research them. And it just happened that I stumbled upon like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and scleroderma one day. And I was like, who treats those? Oh, a rheumatologist does. How fascinating. All right. You'd be a rheumatologist. Okay, Mike, you're up. Um, If you were not a professional musician, what would you be, Mike? You know, before I was a full-fledged professional musician, I had a serious uh, master plan at one point to become a ski instructor, at least for a period of time. Ski instructor. I, yeah, I used, nice. I used to be a very good skier. I really, I really enjoyed it, and I thought, well, at least for a while, I think this could be really cool. And then, you, you know, that didn't happen. You were all about the snow and the ice, weren't oh, you, yeah. with your sports growing up. You were, you were an ice skater, and I didn't even realize that you were a big skier, too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I spent a summer at Aspen Music Festival plotting my ski instructor career. I like it. I like it. Okay. And finally, last but not least, Stephanie, what would you be if you were not a professional musician? Oh, I think it's probably no surprise. I would probably be a second grade teacher. That just seems so awesome for me. I would love to do it. But note, I didn't say music teacher. I don't I don't want to teach elementary music. I, I don't know why. I don't want to be a band director. I want but like regular classroom, second grade. Cool. That's you would be very do. good at that. Very good at that. Oh. Okay. Final question. Uh, we know that Raymond is not only a fantastic clarinetist, he's actually quite a movie buff. Uh, he came to my Oscars party about, I don't know, three or four years ago, and I remember he won the contest where you had to try to predict who was going to win in each Oscar. He, like, clear, cleaned house. He destroyed us all and won the big prize that night. So what actor would portray Raymond 
in a Hollywood blockbuster about the clarinet. That's already funny because like the uh, Hollywood blockbuster. I could see it over the flute. Maybe it would be for a sure. comedy. So, I don't know. Eh, it might be a comedy. Who would portray Raymond in a, let's say, Universal Pictures Hollywood blockbuster about the clarinet? Mike, who would play the role hmm. of Raymond? Uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> like uh, uh, Rami Malek. Ooh. Oh, that's a yeah, good, good answer. That's good it. answer. That's and why a him? Good one. I don't know. I just there's there's like a certain very vague resemblance. I could. See I wouldn't it, I say it's very vague. It's. I mean, it is kind of vague. It's uh, the bags under the eyes. That's what it is. <laughs> the bags under the eyes. <laughs> and know. he did already portray just, a great musician just, in a right, movie. He so, did the yeah. uh, the Freddie Mercury movie. Yeah. That was yep, really good. Yep. Stephanie, what, who do you think would play Raymond in a movie about the clarinet? Well, mine isn't really, it's not realistic, but I'm going to say a young George Clooney. Ooh. Ooh. Young George Clooney. <laughs> yes. And why is that? Like, when you say young, do you mean like 50-year-old George Clooney? Um, no, I mean, mean like, like George Clooney George on Clooney. ER, but without like the okay. Caesar haircut. Do you, like, it's like okay. somewhere in between. And I say that okay. because I want to be on Raymond's good side. <laughs> Okay, those are all good reasons. And finally, Raymond, who would play you? Who do you think should play you in a movie about the clarinet? Well, the resemblance is uncanny. So I would have to say a young Brad Pitt. Of course. Uh, right, Brad Pitt. <laughs> I think nice. Raymond and I are destined to be best friends, I feel like. Yeah, just based I think so. on this game. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, that's so sweet. All right, well, Tim has been keeping score for us, our wonderful recording engineer. Let's see how you guys did. I have no idea how this is going to turn out a, today. Was there one horn? Or were there any horns? There was only two horns, I remember, from Mike. So in, <gasps> uh, let's see. What? In third place with three points, Mike Gordon. In second place with six points, our guest for the day, Raymond Santos. And that means for the first time ever, ladies and gentlemen, winner of Bar Talk what? today, Stephanie Brimmel. Oh, my gosh. History. Insert celebratory music here, Tim. <laughs> and you, yes, we must put some celebratory music there. Some clarinet had, music. You had just said that we were meant to be best friends. I guess not. Oh, oh no. Ouch. Ouch. Well, as much well, as Stephanie, I love you, Raymond, I love to win more. So uh, I accept this honor and will carry it with me until the next bar talk where I will inevitably lose. <laughs> well, I'm super proud of you for your first win. And to celebrate it, I'm going to buy you a box of Rico two and a half clarinet reads okay <laughs> i'm gonna send those your way maybe i'll get them in, in the way raymond does four boxes at a time and oh. just send you a whole case so right. congratulations um and i'm now the only person that has never won bartok so i have that distinct honor yes all right well raymond thank you very much for letting me win you have no idea how happy it makes me i'm being really genuine that i'm super excited and i'm probably gonna go celebrate with a drink right after this so <laughs> And let's say, because typically the winner of Bar Talk gets to do some recommended listening, what I will say is, um, I think we talked about a lot of really great um, clarinet repertoire and a lot of great music. So we will be putting up on our playlist and we'll we'll do a, um, on our show notes, we'll do definitely some Beethoven 6, 
some Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number no. 2, Shostakovich 9, Dances of Galanta, and Raymond's favorite, Rhapsody in Blue. Ta-da! <laughs> Maybe we'll do the marching band version. Hey, that's oh, wonderful. I, find the, I bet nice. I can find my marching band show. I might put a link to it. You just wait. Oh, my God. All that right. would be amazing. Please do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, Raymond, thank you so much for being an awesome guest today. And uh, we've loved having you. I love seeing you guys out on the music box. I can't wait to see you guys you know, in person, which we are starting in person concerts in Hellsburg Hall this month. Yes. Um, so that's great. Woo-hoo. We are also continuing our um our streaming concerts and Jason has a few performances that he's conducting that'll be available on mysymphonyseat.org. Is that right? That's right. Uh let's see, May 9th, which will actually have already passed by the time this episode comes out, is a pops concert where we celebrate American popular music. It's a lot of fun. And a classical concert is coming out on May 23rd. This was also Mike's first time back in Hellsburg Hall. He played on the uh, Copeland Three Latin American Sketches, which was a lot of fun to make music with my good friend and partner in crime, Mike Gordon, again. So you can find both of those on uh, mysymphonyseat.org. It was good indeed uh, to see you on stage and to be on stage. So definitely check out that concert. Well, next time we're going to have a chat with Kansas City Symphony cellist Larry Fig. Larry, in addition to being an exquisite cellist, is a man with almost innumerable talents and interests. I will attempt to list a few. He flies remote control planes and helicopters, maybe drones too, I'm, I'm not sure, but seems logical. He juggles bowling pins, balls, chainsaws, whatever. Uh, he does very sophisticated video editing which he uses to make videos either of him juggling or playing the cello or singing or playing the guitar or his dogs or all of the above. He is an avid stargazer with the equipment to match. Just ask him to Barlow something. He'll explain. Uh, He speaks fluent French, and these are just the ones that I know about. I'm sure we'll discover some more next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. 